Okay, cool. So this this message is one that's been kind of on my heart for a really for a while, like before the semester even started. But I felt like this is something that we really need, um, something that's going to be a key for us. Um, yeah. So I'm going to be preaching out of Exodus chapter 33 today. So if you have your Bibles, you can turn to Exodus chapter 33. Um, We'll start reading from verses 12, verse 12 up to 23. So from verse 12 to 23. Exodus 33, verse 12 to 23, okay? I'll go ahead and read it. Moses said to the Lord, You have been telling me, lead these people, but you have not let me know whom you will send with me. You have said, I know you by name, and you have found favor with me. If you are pleased with me, teach me your ways so I may know you and continue to find favor with you. Remember that this nation is your people. The Lord replied, My presence will go with you and I will give you rest. Then Moses said to him, If your presence does not go with us, do not send us up from here. How will anyone know that you are pleased with me and with your people unless you go with us? What else will distinguish me and your people from all the other people on the face of the earth? And the Lord said to Moses, I will do the very thing you have asked, because I am pleased with you and I know you by name. Then Moses said, Now show me your glory. And the Lord said, I will cause all my goodness to pass in front of you, and I will proclaim my name, the Lord, in your presence. I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. But, he said, you cannot see my face, for no one may see me and live. Then the Lord said, there is a place near me where you may stand on a rock. When my glory passes by, I will put you in a cleft in the rock and cover you with my hand until I have passed by. Then I will remove my hand and you will see my back, but my face must not be seen. All right, so, man. I feel like preaching from the Old Testament is, is really hard because my knowledge of the Old Testament is, is not very, it's, it's so like sporadic, but, uh, but I feel like this is a word from the Lord, so I'm just going to go for it. Um, okay, so just to give you some context about what we just read, we know the book of Exodus is, a, is all about uh, God setting his people free from uh, slavery, from, from Egypt. And so to give you some context, What happens before this is Israel is in slavery, and then they are freed from the Egyptians. God delivers them with a mighty hand in signs and wonders. They even cross the Red Sea. They see a miracle, a great miracle happen after they had seen a ton of them before. Uh, And they're they're continuously walking with the Lord, and he continuously shows uh, uh, his miraculous power. They were given manna and quail. they were given these also in supernatural ways. They would wake up and see this bread-like stuff form on the ground, and, and they were literally like, what is this? And that's, that's manna. They, they were provided with quail. Uh, they were given water from a rock supernaturally. And then on top of that, they, deliver, they, um, they fight the Amalekites, and God delivers them in a very uh, supernatural way there as well. As Moses is praying for them, he's literally holding up his hands. And as his hands are raised up, the, the Israelites are winning. And then when his hands go down, they're losing. And so Aaron and Hur each take one of his hands and they lift them up. And as he's, his hands are being lifted up, they win the battle. This is all previous to what we just read. And then there's more. 
God gives them the Ten Commandments, uh, and then he makes a covenant with his people and, and says, okay, if you agree, uh, you will be my people and I will be your God. And all the people are like, yes, we will follow it. We will be your people and you be our God. And they make this covenant. This is all leading up to this point. And then now Moses goes up to the mountain to hear from the Lord again. And the people fall into idolatry almost right away. They're like, what happened to this Moses guy who's been leading us? And then what do they do? They make themselves a golden calf. They collect all their gold and jewelry and then they melt it and they make this golden calf to worship. And this is where we are. This is where we are right here. Um, So, actually, let me go ahead and read the beginning part of chapter 33. I forgot to read that. That's also important. Let's read from verse 1. Then the Lord said to Moses, Leave this place, you and the people you brought up out of Egypt, and go up to the land I promised on oath to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, saying, I will give it to your descendants. I will send an angel before you and drive out the Canaanites, Amorites, Hittites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites. Go up to the land flowing with milk and honey, but I will not go with you because you are a stiff-necked people and I might destroy you on the way. When the people heard these distressing words, they began to mourn and no one put on any ornaments. For the Lord had said to Moses, tell the Israelites, you are a stiff-necked people. If I were to go with you even for a moment, I might destroy you. Now take off your ornaments and I will decide what to do with you. So the Israelites stripped off their ornaments at Mount Horeb. Now Moses used to take a tent and pitch it outside the camp some distance away, calling it the tent of meeting. Anyone inquiring of the Lord would go to the tent of meeting outside the camp. And whenever Moses went out to the tent, all the people rose and stood at the entrances to their tents, watching Moses until he entered the tent. As Moses went into the tent, the pillar of cloud would come down and stay at the entrance while the people, while the Lord spoke with Moses. Whenever the people saw the pillar of cloud standing at the entrance to the tent, they all stood and worshipped, each at the entrance to his tent. The Lord would speak to Moses face to face as a man speaks with his friend. Then Moses would return to the camp, but his aide, a young aide, Joshua, son of Nun, did not leave the tent. All right, I'll stop there. And then the rest of it is what we read earlier. Okay, so from this passage, we see some aspects of God's character. And there's this tension. You see this tension because you see on one hand that God is faithful. He... Um, he is with these people despite everything that they've done. And yet we also see that he is a holy God and he does not let sin just pass without any consequence. Okay. So we see this tension. God is faithful, but he is a holy God. Okay. Let's keep that in mind. Um, first I want to expand on this, this idea that God is faithful, his character of faithfulness. Okay, so if you look at verse 1, it says, Then the Lord said to Moses, Leave this place, you and the people you brought up out of Egypt, and go up to the land I promised on oath to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, saying, I will give it to your descendants. So this is right after the people had rebelled and made this golden calf. And, you know, God in, in his sovereignty, he has every right to just be like, okay, forget these people. But he... He remembers his, his covenant. He remembers his covenant to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Okay? He's a God who is so faithful, his faithfulness goes beyond generations. All right? he's, he's, um, 
referencing Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and all these people know that. So when, when he identifies himself as that, he is identifying himself as a God of promise, as a God of covenant. Okay? So for us, a lot of times, we have a hard time understanding this because, you know, when someone breaks a promise or, like, you know, they're, they're late to something, it's like, ugh, you know? Um, and then, like, that really hurts us. But then, like, that's so small, right? Compared to this, compared to, like, the faithfulness of God, so, um, just to give a little bit of, I don't know, just an example, like, I have a hobby. I, I started baking a few years ago. Uh, I bake bread. I, break my, I bake my own bread. And uh, something I, you know, I, I kind of got into even more is that, you know, you, first you, you use yeast. Anyone here ever bake? Yay! <laughs> so, you know, you have, you have to use yeast to bake, uh, to make the, the bread or whatever you're making rise, right? And um, what I found is that there's, there's this other whole area of bread making, like sourdough bread. Okay, that's, that's like the pinnacle of bread making. Because this is, I'm serious, because this is like how they did it back in the day before yeast was commercialized. Because, you know, you, you, you have to activate your yeast. You take a little tablespoon of it. You put it in warm water and sugar, and then you see it bubble. Right, Hannah? Right? Yeah. That's how you make yeast work. And then when you put it into the dough, it rises. Okay? Now, sourdough is like a real live yeast culture. So, you know, like yeast, you're constantly breathing it in. It's everywhere. It's like on you right now as we speak. Okay? So, what you do to make your own yeast starter is you just leave some flour and water out in the air, and then the yeast from the air land on it, and then like it starts feeding on it. Right? And then over a few days, you keep feeding it and feeding it, and then it starts to bubble. And then that's how you know that you have a live yeast culture. Okay? Yeah, that's real. I have a live yeast culture. It's my pet. It's sitting in my fridge. So it is now, I started in February of last year, so it's, it's over a year old now. But here's the thing. I know only about a, a year old live culture. But, but what I find is that these bakers, like these intergenerational bakers, they have yeasts from their like grandparents and great-great-grandparents, and, and it's been passed down through generations. And so, like, I started something. I'm like, I want to give this to my grandchildren. And I hope that, like, you know, they, they pass it on, uh, you know, over and over again. And then, like, they'll look back and be like, oh, our, our great-grandfather, Sam Choi, he, uh, he, <laughs> he got this yeast from his house in Kongduk in Seoul in 2017, right? <laughs> Some of that might be Brian's yeast, too, because he lived with me at that time. <laughs> Oh, man. Anyway, <laughs> I bring that up as an example because, um, yeah, it's really hard to understand for some of us this idea of intergenerational blessing, intergenerational promises, the faithfulness of God that passes through generations. Okay, I'll give you, <laughs> I'll give you another example, okay? I have this show that I really like. It's, it's called Human Planet. Anyone know Human Planet? I like spread this like the gospel. Anyone who comes over to my house, I, share, I show this to them because it's such an awesome show. But you guys know Planet Earth, that, that BBC documentary series, the, you know, with David Attenborough. Um, anyway, they did the same production except for humans that live in different biospheres. So they have like people that live in the Arctic, people that live in the oceans, and their like eyes are adapted to see underwater better. It's really cool. Um, they have people that live in jungles that most of their lives are living in trees. Anyway, there's this one episode. It's the Rivers episode if you ever want to check it out. It's on Netflix. <laughs> the Rivers episode. It's the last segment of the episode. And they talk about these people that, um, that are in northern India. And what they do is it's the rainiest place in the world where people live. And so what they do is they have these um, trees that they graft. 
Okay, they have these trees that are like centuries old, and they will graft little branches from the tree and then make it sideways so that it goes across to each other and make these living tree bridges. It's so cool. It looks like something out of Lord of the Rings. And then they'll like put these paths on it so people will just walk. And so what they'll do is they'll they'll tell their children how to make it. And so they're like, there's this guy like, okay, to his nine-year-old daughter, I was like, when you grow up, you're going to tell your kids how to do this too. And so what they do is they don't ever actually see it finish. They're only just adding branches at a time. But these trees are like centuries old. That means it's, it's spanned several generations. And you see it and it's so cool. You have to see it. But I look at that and I'm like, man, intergenerational. God's faithfulness is intergenerational. Amen? <laughs> okay, yeah. So, <laughs> um, yeah, so God's faithfulness. It's intergenerational, but it's also, um, it's more than that. Because um, it's also inclusive. Okay, God's faithfulness is also inclusive. Meaning that it's for all people. Okay, so God has his chosen people. He has his people Israel, but the plan, the plan from God was for that his people would be a kingdom of priests and a holy nation, right, for the world, so that people may come to know the living God. But because of their failures and, you know, things changed, but um, that's, that's God's plan. Exodus 19.6, it says, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. So from the beginning, God's plan was to be inclusive of his plan of salvation for the world. Okay? So um, Jesus even says in, in John chapter 4, verse 22, he says, You Samaritans worship, uh, this is when he's talking to the woman at the well. He says, You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship, the Jews, we worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. Okay? Um, so God's plan was always for uh, him to redeem people. Okay, not just Israel. It was through Israel, but all people. Um, in Romans 11, Paul writes extensively about God's plan for Israel. Okay, but in verse 12 of chapter 11, it says this, but if their transgression means riches for the world, okay, because um, the gospel was, was brought to the Gentiles, uh, and their loss means riches for the Gentiles. How much greater riches will their full inclusion bring? Okay, so what he's talking about here is that eventually God wants to bring Israel. His, his heart is for Israel. He wants for them to be jealous for this love that he has, even for the Gentiles, so that they may come and be fully included within God's plan of salvation. Okay, um, so how much greater will their inclusion in God's plan bring? Okay, so this is Paul just like imagining like, wow, imagine with me. Like, let's have a heart that, that um, God would, would do his work within Israel. Okay, so we have the, the faithfulness of God. It's intergenerational, it's inclusive, but it's also immediate. That's what we see um, in Genesis chapter 3. Okay, uh, in Genesis chapter 3 verse 15, it says, and I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. This is what he prophesies to the, the serpent. Okay. Uh, and in that, he prophesies what is probably the first prophecy about Jesus. Okay. Um, 
says, and I will put enmity between you and the woman and between her, between your offspring and hers. Okay. So that, that what he says there for offspring, it's sometimes translated as seed and your seed. What he's talking about there is Jesus. And he says, he will crush your head and you will strike his heel. What is he referring to right there? The crucifixion, right? With the crucifixion, Jesus will be, he will, he will get hurt. His, his heel will be struck, right? He's using that as a metaphor. Um, and he will crush your head, meaning that you will die, right? The, it, to the serpent, that, to, the, to the devil, that you will be defeated. And so even within Genesis 3, immediately after uh, the fall happens, God's plan for redemption, his plan for salvation is already at work. And so we see that, that God's faithfulness is immediate. He's like that father just running to you. He's already got a plan in place. Now, my next point I want to make, uh, this next aspect of God's character is that he is holy. This is what we see in these verses. Okay? Um, so when you look at the word holy in, from the Old Testament, uh, I, I forget what the, 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 Greek, or sorry, the, the Hebrew word that they used was. Um, but the translation of it, if you looked it up, it, it would come out to this. Apartness, holiness, sacredness, separateness. Okay? So what is holiness? It is, in essence, it's the essence of God. Okay? It's the essence of God. Now, holiness for a while for me was like really hard to like, define or really understand. It's like, what can, you, what can you point to in the world that's holy? You know, like, what can you look at and be like, oh, that's holy? I mean, you can... You know, you can look at someone who's like, in quotes, holy, like, oh, yeah, um, you know, Hannah's really holy. You know, she goes to prayer meetings all the time, you know. But, you know, we say that lightly, but, but no one's really holy. Nothing's really holy that you could point to. First Samuel 2, 2, it says, there is none holy like the Lord, for there is none besides you. Isaiah forty twenty five. to whom then will you compare me that I should be like him, says the Holy One. Yeah, literally, there's nothing we can compare him to, so it's hard to kind of understand that. Hosea 11.9, it says, I am God and not a man, the Holy One in your midst. Another place I like to look that, that kind of shows this is in Isaiah chapter 6. Uh, this is Isaiah's vision. It says, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord high and exalted, seated on a throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him were seraphim, each with six wings. With two wings they covered their faces, with two they covered their feet, and with two they were flying, and they were calling to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. At the sound of their voices, the doorposts and the thresholds shook, and the temple was filled with smoke. Woe to me, I cried, I am ruined. For I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips. And my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. So you see something holy. You would think he'd be like, oh, holy, you know? No, but what's his, what's his response? It's like, oh my, oh, I'm a man of unclean lips. Like he suddenly becomes aware of his unholiness in the presence of holiness. That is what holiness is. John Piper gives this definition from an article titled, How Do You Define God's Holiness? Okay? He says this. He, tries, he, you know, he knows that words fall short. He's, he even says that. But um, this is what he gives. God's holiness, holiness is his infinite value as the absolutely unique, morally perfect, permanent person that he is and who by grace made himself accessible. Okay? I'll read that one more time because that's, that's, that's a load. God's holiness 
is his infinite value as the absolutely unique, morally perfect, permanent person that he is and who by grace made himself accessible. So God is utterly different than us, completely separate than us, from us, and set apart. He's holy. Um, in a practical sense, he's set apart because we are tainted with sin. Right? We can't be with God because he's holy and we're not. We're tainted. You can think of holiness as like, excuse this, this is not a pun, it is a pun, but holiness as like holiness, holiness, W-H-O-L-E-ness, okay? As H-O-L-I-N-E-S-S, holiness, okay? Like wholeness and holiness, okay? Almost, okay? I'm not saying that this is exactly the, the meaning, but you can think of it this way, okay? So the Bible uses imagery of purification, okay? Um, there's all kinds of passages about this, but I'll just name a few. Psalm 12, 6, it says, The words of the Lord are pure words, as silver tried in a furnace on the earth, refined seven times. Deuteronomy 4, 20, it says, But the Lord has taken you and brought you out of the iron furnace from Egypt to be a people for his own possession as today. And uh, there are plenty of other verses. Psalm just talks about, like, uh, refining fire, okay? So you guys know, I'm sure you've heard this kind of uh, metaphor and analogy before, but uh, there's, this is often used as imagery that uh, there's this idea of, uh, what's the word, metallurgy? Met- metallurgy? How do you say that? Metallurgy, right? It's the idea of um, purifying metals. Okay, it's the concept of purifying metals. Uh, Brian, you, you should probably know this, right? You used to work in metals. <laughs> More on the more on the business aspect, right? <laughs> okay, so um, they have all these different methods of purifying metals, and how do they do it? They they burn it, right? Or they heat it. They heat it in like um, what do you call it? A furnace, and then it melts. And then you do all these processes where they have different ones where like they blow hot air on it, and then it like removes some of the uh, the impurities. And, and then as you heat it up, a lot of the other impurities, they just burn up. They just burn away. That's called the dross or something like that. And um, the Bible talks about it a lot, refining fire. Metals are being made pure by being refined. Okay? And so we also, uh, in a way, we talk, when we talk about holiness, we often talk about it in terms of purity. Right? But like, you know, in, in like church Christianese, we'll often say, like, uh, let's talk about purity. That means let's talk about lust or, you know, um, like sexual things, right? And, and purity can re- refer to that. It's inclusive of that, but it's more than that in that um, it's often the things we lust after, and it's not always sexual. It can be like money, the things that your heart lusts after that are not for you, that are not um, good for you. And in that way, our hearts are impure, just like those metals that need to be purified. We have these parts in our heart that are just like a little bit reserved for something else, Right? It's not wholly whole for God. Okay? So in that regard, we are not holy, and God is holy. And he requires us to be holy, and so there's our dilemma. Okay? And as God is holy, he takes sin very seriously. He takes sin seriously. And look at, look at how God verbalizes it in this chapter. He says, but I will not go with you because you are a stiff-necked people and I might destroy you on the way. 
Okay, he says, I might destroy you to Israel. And, and in that, we see the seriousness of sin. Now, that brings me to the, the third point I want to bring up, or the third characteristic of God, and that is that God is merciful. God is merciful. So after God says that, the people in verse 4, they respond. They say, when the people heard these distressing words, they began to mourn, and no one put on any ornaments. Okay? They began to mourn. In other words, they repented. Okay? Their hearts were being changed. So what happens next? God, uh, Moses goes in to intercede for the people. Okay? In verse 13, it says, uh, Moses says, If you are pleased with me, teach me your ways so I may know you and continue to find favor with you. Remember that this nation is your people. Okay, he's, he's trying to get God to remember. And remember that these are your people. Okay, um, I want to point out a few things, a few other things I got from this verse. Uh, in verse 2, it says, in verse 2 it says, I will send an angel before you and drive out uh, the, the, all these nations. Okay, So God says, I will send an angel before you. But Moses presses him on this point. In verse, um, where are we? Ah, verse 12, it says, Moses said to the Lord, you have been telling me, lead these people, but you have not let me know whom you will send with me. Okay, so God, so Moses is pressing God on this point because he says, God, like you said that you were, you're going to send someone uh, with us. Uh, who, you, who will you send? Who will you send? And how does God respond? In verse 14, he says, my presence will go with you. And I will give you rest. His very presence will go with him. So I find that very interesting. Moses asks for his presence. Moses understood that God was the most valuable thing. He understood, at least in some measure, this, this holiness of God. He is like that pearl or that great treasure like we had talked about before in Matthew. Um, that great treasure that you would give up everything for. And he says, do not send us up from here. That's in verse 15. Do not send us up from here. Do not send us up from here if you do not go with us. And then he follows that in verse 18 with, now show me your glory. He wanted to see the fullness of God's glory. Now this, uh, the, the Hebrew word for it is kav, kavod. kavod. And, and, the, and the way it's translated is glory, honor, riches, or abundance. The fullness, essentially the fullness of God. God grants his request and says he will let his glory pass by him. But interestingly, he says to Moses that you can't see my face and live. No one can see my face and live. So here we have a people that have sinned, and then we have Moses interceding for them. God responds first in anger, and then God, uh, Moses intercedes for them. And, and meanwhile, the people are repenting, and they're also praising. And then here we see Moses asking for his presence. And then God grants that request. So when I look at this story, 
I, I see that this is pointing to Jesus. Okay? We know that Moses is also a, a Christ figure. All, I mean, the whole book, this whole book is about Jesus. And so everything that points to Christ beforehand right, is, is all pointing to him. It's, it's all these figures, right? Abraham, Jacob, uh, David, right? Isaiah, all these people, Moses, they are all Christ figures. Okay? They are, they're all pointing at a greater uh, version of themselves. And Moses also here is pointing to a greater Moses. See, Moses here is interceding, uh, but Jesus is the chief intercessor. Jesus is interceding for us at the right hand of God at this very moment. Right? Jesus, when he resurrected, he went to the right hand of the Father, and he is sitting there interceding for us. Interesting thing is Moses wanted to see the fullness, and he got it, but what did he not get? He didn't get to see his face. He didn't get to see his face. Now, now check this out. In John chapter 14, in the Gospel of John chapter 14, um, Jesus is with his disciples, and Philip asks Jesus to see the Father. Okay? And Jesus replies by saying, Don't you know me, Philip, even after I have been among you such a long time? Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Don't you believe that I am in the Father and that the Father is in me? Isn't that interesting? So before Jesus came, God could not show his face. Even if he was to, as he did to Moses, he showed his presence. He let his presence and his fullness go by, yet he could not see his face. But Jesus here is talking to his disciple and he's saying, look, I mean, literally, look. I, you're looking at the Father because I am in the Father. That's Jesus. So Jesus, in Jesus, they saw God's very face. In Jesus, they saw God's very face. What even Moses couldn't see, though he saw God's glory. And interestingly, in Revelation chapter 22, verse 4, this is what it says. At the very end of the story, they will see his face. And in his and his name will be on their foreheads. It says they will see his face, us, his redeemed, and his name will be on their foreheads. Alright, so let's go back. Let's go back to the story. And here again we see we see even more pointers to the gospel. Especially that last part. Uh, verses 21 to 23. I'll read it again. It says, Then the Lord said, There is a place near me where you may stand on a rock. When my glory passes by, I will put you in a cleft in the rock and cover you with my hand until I have passed by. Then I will remove my hand and you will see my back, but my face must not be seen. So when, whenever you see the word rock, okay, uh, in the Bible, I mean, that's, that's one of the names of God. God is known as the rock of Israel throughout the Old Testament. In 1 Samuel 2, 2, it says, There is no one holy like the Lord. There is no one besides you. There is no rock like our God. Psalm eighteen thirty one: For who is God besides the Lord? And who is the rock except our God? Psalm nineteen fourteen: My rock and my redeemer. And all throughout the Old Testament, and especially throughout Psalms, it talks about God as being the rock. The rock. He's my rock. So when I look at this passage, it says, there's a place near me where you may stand on a rock. Okay? 
So when he's saying that, it's, it's, it's pointing to the work of Jesus. You may stand on the rock. And an interesting thing about this rock is, I will put you in a cleft in the rock. What is, what is a cleft? A cleft is an opening or a space made by a cleavage or a split. So what is that, what is that pointing to? It's pro- pointing to the broken body of Jesus Christ, the rock, who was broken on our behalf. And in that gap, in his brokenness, we have our freedom. We have our deliverance. By his stripes, we are healed. And then he says, I will cover you with my hand. With his own hand, he will cover him to protect him from what? His own glory, which would kill him. His own glory. So what you see here is God giving a part of himself, in a sense. He's, he's putting him within a wound of his and covering him with his own hand to protect him from his own wrath. And that is exactly what Jesus does on the cross. See, on the cross, we have the coming together of these aspects of God. We have the coming together of God's faithfulness and that he paid the cost for what it took for him to be with his people because Jesus is Emmanuel. It means God with us. Yet at the same time, in the cross, we have the justice of God being poured out on sin. See, the holiness of God is not compromised in Jesus. And in Jesus, the the sins that we have committed are paid for. And therefore, we are able to come to God and boldly approach his throne, just as Moses did. And so we see here also, that, that God, he, he covers, it says, um, and cover you with my hand until I have passed by. And, that, and those words, passed by, also evoke that, uh, what has happened in, the, in, um, in Egypt. Right? When, when uh, the last plague hit, when the firstborn uh, were, were dead, what did the Israelites have to do? They had to paint their doorposts with the blood of the lamb. And in doing so, the angel of death passed over them and passed by them. And in the same way as the, the glory of God passed by Moses, the same glory that would have killed him without the protection of God had to pass by. So in Jesus, we have the instance where humanity saw for the first time God's very face. Because we know that in the beginning was the word and the word was God and the word was with God. That's in John chapter 1. In Jesus, we have the chief intercessor. He is the greater Moses. In Jesus, we have a way to the Father. Because where we could not come to him because of our uncleanliness and our unholiness, in his holy presence, we have a way uh, in Jesus. So again, we have the embodiment of both the love of God and his justice being poured out in one instance in the cross of Jesus Christ. And his holy requirement is met. He himself makes a way for us to come to him to protect us from his righteous judgment. And in Jesus, we have the very presence of God. Um. <clears throat> Yeah, I think um, 
I think for us, as as a as a community, uh, what I really desire for us is is that we would have a real desire for for God's presence in our ministry and in our lives. Because you know, when we, when it comes down to it, if if all we're doing is just stuff, if all we're doing is programs, it's it, I mean, really, it's nothing. It's like I don't want to do this if if God's not here. I don't want, and I hope you feel the same way. I don't, I don't want to just meet for the sake of meeting and just hear a word that I, you know, that I feel like I got something and like, okay, share this word this, and, and a few funny anecdotes from Sam. Like, I, I don't want that to be the case, you know? I don't want to just get together and sing songs. I want us to really press in and hunger for the Lord. And, and if that's not why we're here, then like, this is all useless. And in the same way, you see that in Moses. He's like, I, I don't even want to go from here if, if you're not going to come with us, Lord. And that's, that's kind of my prayer for this ministry is that, you know, I believe that in due time, God will bring students, even though there are no actual students. And we've only got like grad students and, and um, an exchange student. And actually, no, we have one that came later. <laughs> um, but yeah, like, you know, I don't want us to get caught up on, on just things, but I want us as a, as a community to really just seek the presence of the Lord because in his presence, in his presence, I mean, that's, that's where, you know, there's fullness of joy. In his presence is, is where we want to be, no other place. And, you know, um, we all have that, that yearning within us that can't be met except by God. And through the blood of Jesus, we have access to that presence. So, um, yeah, um, yeah, that's our that's my prayer for today. I don't I'm, we're not going to really do an altar call, but um yeah, I'll just close this in prayer. <clears throat> uh Father, we thank you for your faithfulness and your goodness and your holiness. Uh in your holiness, really though it's hard to understand at times, is really what makes you who you are and draws us to you, O oh God. And because we know that that is not what we are and, that, and that's what we need. We desire holiness. We desire to be like you. So continue to sanctify us. But God, give us a, a deep yearning and a desire for you, O oh God. Lord, we don't want to just do things. We don't want to just do programs. We don't want to just do ministry. But God, give us a deep hunger for you, for your very presence, O oh God. And so right now I invite you, Holy Spirit, because Jesus, when you came on the earth, you said it's better, better for us that you leave so that your presence would come through your Holy Spirit. That when we invite you into our lives, O oh God, we have the Holy Spirit deposited within us. And so, Father, as we continue to meet together, I pray that the Spirit within us would bear witness. The Spirit within us would, would bear witness to, to your presence in our lives as we continue to meet as we continue to pray and worship and just grow alongside you and with one another. Father, I ask that you would give us a, uh, an increased awareness of your presence in our lives. And I pray that, God, you would bless this ministry, that this would not just be uh, another club. But, Lord, may this be a club that is marked by your very presence, O oh God. When we worship you, O oh God, I ask that your spirit would be in this place, O oh God. I pray, God, that, that as we meet, Lord, when two or more gather... Lord, you say, there you are with us. May we feel your very presence in our midst, Father. And so, God, even as 
Uh, we are a church, uh, we are a ministry under New Philly Church, and though we are going through a lot of things, I pray that even through this ministry, oh God, you would bring ministry, that you would bring uh, healing, and you would bring uh, revival to our church, and even within our daily lives, within um, the students around us, in our classes, oh God, whatever we are doing, Father, I pray that, God, you would breathe new life right now into this ministry, Father. Lord, we don't want just music, we don't want just moods, we don't want programs, we want just you. Father. And so, God, as we go from here, I ask that, God, you would just tug at our hearts and give us a greater awareness. Open our eyes, Father. Holy Spirit, we invite you into our lives. We invite you into this ministry. I pray that, God, all the other lusts of our hearts would just seem so small and worthless compared to knowing who you are, O God. And so, Father, I I commit um, each one of us to you and ask that, God, you would uh, just continue to to, to shine your truth, your love, your grace upon us. We thank you for your love. We thank you for everything that you've done. We thank you that on the cross, everything is finished. So we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.